Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. This is RU Fan Jerry, and welcome to another edition of the R Big Show. Today, we'll podcast. We'll be talking some Rutgers football again, and we're going to be focusing as is an off week, a bye week. I always like to use this opportunity at some time to catch up uh, on the recruiting cycle. And, of course, it's an interesting time at Rutgers um, being with a lot of the, I don't want to say turmoil, but questions and uh, uh, complex situations around the program. It is good to check in, and I'll be having a friend of the show, Sean from Rivals from ScholarNation.com, coming back and visiting us. We'll touch base with him. So uh, I am definitely looking for um, some questions and call-ins uh, from you guys. If you want to call in, the number uh, is 914-338-1694, and we'll be taking calls in in the second half of the show uh, as we will touch base also uh, with the uh, uh, Big Ten and see what's going on with some of the other programs. As This is kind of heading to October now, as we can see if you stepped outside recently. The weather feels like it's fall, and it's heading into that conference uh, season where uh, there's quite a few teams who've gone out to a good start. Uh, I know Indiana's 4-0, a few teams uh, that are uh, perhaps surprising, but this is where really you kind of start to separate, uh, you know, I guess, if you will, the contenders from the contenders as, as in-season play uh, starts. Uh, so I'm going to have Shannon Summers uh, on the show as well, and we'll be discussing some Big Ten football. So, again, if you want to call in, if you want to talk, uh, not only recruiting, but also uh, there's still, I think, the fan base uh, after Rutgers' win last week, 27-13, uh, to 13, that left a lot to be desired. I think, uh, you know, there was a point in that game when it was 27-7 to 7 in the third quarter, very early in the third quarter, where it looked like Rutgers was going to take care of business, and, and it did. Obviously, they got the W, but uh, they left um, some uh, to be desired, as I said, in terms of, of really not executing and, and, and you know, closing out uh, an opponent that uh, they they should have. And, again, they got the W, but with the schedule with Michigan State coming up in two weeks and the heart of the schedule that includes, obviously, Michigan State, uh, I said an Iowa team the week after that's 4-0, uh, then Ohio State, and you still have I mean, the, um, <laughs> the trips to Wisconsin um, as well as hosting Nebraska. But uh, it, you know, the penalties and, and some of the sloppy play that was seen in the second half, uh, it, it's not going to bode well if they don't fix that very quickly. So, But without further ado, I want to welcome back to the show, Sean. How you doing? It's been a long time. Hey, how's it doing, Jerry? Good, good, good. Uh, you know, it, um, it's only four games into the season. It's October 1st, and uh, but it seems like this has already been a long season for Rutgers football, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, I would agree without a doubt. Well, you know, I'm glad, uh, you know, we've got this little bye week. Um, and, you know, and, uh, so far it's been a quiet week at Rutgers uh, in comparison to some of the things that have been going on in, in September. So it gives us a little bit of time to step back and uh, uh, talk about uh, some of the uh, things that go on outside of just the football field. You know, we always talk about on the show that recruiting is a, is a year-round 
sport, if you will, you know, with all the coverage and um, keeping track of, of the players uh, that are, are either committed or uncommitted to the program. Um, Rutgers had a decommit this week. Uh, um, you could talk a little bit more about that, uh, you know, if, whether that was kind of more of an isolated incident or, or really anything that had to do with the things that were going on. What, what's your opinion on that? Um, you know, with, with Hewitt um, from Venice, Florida, the tackle that committed this week, uh, you know, even before he had committed to Rutgers in the summer, uh, he talked about visiting Virginia Tech officially. And, you know, although there were a lot of schools still around, you know, Rutgers was his clear leader, and eventually he made it to campus and did make his commitment. Um, but even after that, he, he talked about, you know, before officially decommitting, uh, taking an official to Virginia Tech in, in January. And, you know, I think, um, you know, reading, uh, you know, Todrick Hunt, NJ.com actually did speak to uh, his father. Uh, and, you know, Mr. Hewitt mentioned that just some cleaning to do around the program. And, you know, that without saying it directly, I think a lot of stuff that's just going on right now is, you know, had an effect on uh, on Hewitt and his family. And they decided to, you know, kind of see what was going on. And he's also... I mean, I'm not sure if it had anything to do with it, but he's having a big year. He actually has already, after three or four games, 18 tackles for loss, which is which is what some kids have in a career, and let alone he has in a quarter of his season. So he, he's having a great year, uh, but, you know, Rutgers isn't completely out in the mix. I think if things get stabilized in the program, that will definitely – you know, go a long way towards the, the Scarlet Knights, you know, reconfirming and, and bringing Hewitt back into the fold. And one thing, though, of course, uh, to mention, uh, you know, before I think a lot of the fan base uh, um, start to get overly nervous that this may be the beginning of a trend. I mean, uh, he is a Florida player, and I think a lot of times, uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Rutgers is able to get in with some of these players early. Uh, but it, 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 an increased amount of attention comes at them, particularly if they start off well in that senior year. Um, you know, it, it, it is always a pull uh, to keep these kids who really are not as tied to the to the local area. Um, so, you know, perhaps it, it's a little bit of both uh, in this case. Uh, do you agree? Um, I mean, you, you know, you never know. Like like you said, he had always talked about, you know, visiting some other schools even after he made the, the commitment. So it's not um, entirely out of the blue. And, and sometimes it's a case of, you know, showing some courtesy to the school you're committed to. And, you know, it's it's like a guy courting a girl. You know, he, he has a girlfriend, but he wants to talk to other girls. You know, he's being professional about it and saying, you know, you know, I'm going to go about this the right way and, you know, let you know that I, I want to see other people, you know, and he may still date that girl. Uh, so, you know, Rutgers is, like I mentioned, still, you know, firmly in the mix, but he's, you know, officially, you know, he's, he's looking, seeing, you know, what other options may be out there as well, so... <laughs> That's a great analogy. I think you could probably go along with. Uh, we could take that in many different ways, but it's a, it's a true point uh, because you know essentially recruiting is is, is a courtship. So uh, um, definitely, I think uh, uh, you know you have a situation where where your players are committing, if you will, or um, but out there looking, and and that's something that that's always going to be an issue. Um, you know, let me put you on the spot here. Obviously, you know, with this class that Rutgers has. Uh, the 2016 class, I mean, really, uh, you know, obviously they picked the, the Patrice Rene, the defensive back, as a four-star player, but, uh, you know, quarterbacks always headline the program. Um, and, and, you know, Anthony Russo, who committed to, to Rutgers earlier in the year, 
had a very good showing in the uh, Elite Eight quarterback competition. I mean, uh, he's obviously somebody that people are going to want to know. Uh, is is he a kid that's solid, or, or do the Scarlet Knights have to worry about being poached at, at a very important position? You know, well, I mean, you know, Anthony, you know, from everything I'm hearing is, you know, solid his commitment. He's, you know, he's saying all the right things. Uh, I mean, there, there's going to be increased attention uh, just because of his performance uh, at the Elite 11 this summer. You know, but but typically most schools are already done uh, at the quarterback position at this point in the year. Not saying that, you know, just, you know, a guy can, you know, flip late. Obviously we saw Brandon Wimbush last year uh, flipping, you know, sometime during the season from Penn State to Notre Dame. Uh, so, you know, anything's possible in recruiting. We've obviously seen that. But, you know, Anthony, um, you know, has been firm and solid his commitment to Rutgers. Uh, and, you know, he's just, you know, kind of going out and focusing on the season at this point. But I know definitely programs have, you know, like I say, his performance really, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows because, you know, being an Archbishop Wood, uh, they're traditionally a run-heavy program. So they didn't ask him to do a lot last year. Uh, and there were other guys in the region, obviously, Garantano, Dwayne Haskins, um, Jay Zimbiak going to Penn State that were on the radar earlier and a lot of the school that recruit the region got their guys early. And it worked in Rutgers advantage because they knew him well before he really blew up um, in the eyes of all the recruiting sites. You know, so, you know, anything's possible in recruiting, but, you know, everything right now looks like Russo is, you know, really comfortable in his decision. And, you know, he's he's really comfortable and happy with being a Scarlet Knight. Well, obviously, a quarterback is a very important position. Uh, you know, we mentioned the elite, elite eleven competition, and uh, if I can recall correctly, I think there was four, if not, I think four Big Ten East players in, in that, and five overall in the conference. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it bodes well for the Big Ten, but also, it, it you know, you want to keep up uh, with the Joneses. Rutgers will continue to need to. Uh, recruit well at the position, so uh, hopefully he's a player that is solid and, and they can keep. Now, what are the, um, I know we all follow the rankings, but, you know, where does this class right now stand in, in terms of, of both uh, nationally and in the, the Big Ten? Um, I think in terms of where Rutgers ranks nationally, and Rivals.com, I believe they're, uh, I want to say, 37th ranked. And I think of the main recruiting sites, that's that's the highest ranking. Um, within the Big Ten, though, you know, I don't know no numbers off my head, but obviously Ohio State's they're doing extremely well in the recruiting trail. You know, Michigan is, is doing well, especially in New Jersey. Um, Michigan State, obviously they they you know, under D'Antoni initially they weren't a recruiting juggernaut, but they've they've had great national success and now they're starting to, you know, bring in those four star guys that fit their mold. Um, so they're recruiting quite well. Uh, and Penn State obviously has has done extremely well in the James Franklin. So in terms of the Big Ten East, they are, you know, towards the back end of Maryland, they've gotten a lot of high-profile guys. They've they've mixed the the lower underrated guys with you know the Tino Ellis's and Dwayne Hask- Haskins of the world. So I believe Rutgers is right above Indiana. I don't know the exact number verbatim off the top of my head, but you know in terms of their half of the conference, there's a lot of teams that are recruiting extremely well that they have to compete against going forward. You know, um, I know you're a big uh, high school football guy. Uh, you know any any performances by Rutgers commits that uh, you know fans would like to know about, or you know guys that maybe are are, are even doing better than than expected, and opened up uh, some eyes uh, in terms of uh, uh, their performances so far this season. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the one guy this week who really caught my eye when I was going through the stats was um, 
uh, Isaiah Wright uh, at uh, Kingswood Oxford in Connecticut, the receiver commit. He uh, actually played his first game this weekend, and their prep league tends to start a little later than the average high school season. But he had, I think it was 270 total yards of offense, uh, 184 yards receiving, and three catches for three touchdowns with a 96-yard touchdown and two rushing touchdowns. And like it was like a 48-50 uh, game versus uh, uh, Hamden Hall, a rival of theirs up in Connecticut. And they lost, but he obviously he played his part on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, a really explosive player. You know, even going back to Russo, a lot of people talked about the first game he had this season against Allentown of Central New Jersey. He was 11 for 12 for over 300 yards and, you know, multiple touchdowns. So, you know, those those type of performances stood out. Even this past weekend, uh, actually last weekend, I went to see South Brunswick versus uh, Old Bridge. And, you know, Mo Jabby's another guy who's really taking advantage of uh, more touches than he's got in the past on the offense. He only had four catches for 18 yards, which is his lowest of this year, but he did have a 78-yard punt return and, you know, showed some tremendous speed uh, on that punt return. And also a guy like uh, Solomon Manning at Colonia, he's averaging double-digit tackles for, for the Patriots right now. And he's played outside linebacker in the past, but now they have him in the middle in the mic. So, you know, he's he's in the mix of every play. He's definitely, you know, just really active uh, for their defense this year. Now, um, yeah, obviously we have these players. Now, as you mentioned, a lot, especially at the quarterback position, a lot of the recruiting is already done. Um, but even in general, I mean, it seems like each year these classes are filling up uh, so much quicker. Uh, and, you know, I think it's been beaten, or the, you know, dead horse beaten, uh, you will, or when it comes to records and, and how, um, you know, are not and have not pulled in uh, the top in the state in terms of, of recruiting. Now, are there any top um, – players remaining, I guess, in that top 20, if you will, uh, that, that Rutgers still has a, a chance with the un, uh, uncommitted players. Yeah, I mean, there's a few guys yeah. in Jersey that they're, they're still in contact with. Um, in terms of our rankings, the the two highest guys that are available, I believe we have Jordan Fuller, Old Japan, at the number two slot. He He's going to take it down to a wire like his brother uh, uh, Devin did a couple years ago. And, um, you know, he's he's still considering Rutgers quite a bit. Uh, you know, Rutgers likes him as a, you know, defensive back, but he can do a lot of different things on the field. He could possibly even be a receiver in college. So he's a guy that is looking at a lot of different schools. But, you know, Rutgers is, is still in the mix, and they figure to make his top five. Uh, Giovanni Haskins from Bergenfield, who we have, I think, at the number four slot, is that hybrid tight end type that, you know, everyone loves nowadays. And, he visited Virginia Tech for that Ohio State game officially. And, you know, he hasn't named – I think he's kind of leaning towards the, the Hokies as a leader. Uh, Miami's still in the mix. and But he does feel some loyalty to the Rutgers. They were the first ones to offer, and his family is really pushing for him uh, to stay home. But it'd definitely be a battle to keep him in state. Um, there's a lot of guys on the periphery that they're still in contact with. You know, they may not be recruiting as hard. Uh, one guy that stands out to me is Donald Stewart from Paramus Catholic, who's a, you know, tremendous wide receiver, has a, you know, pretty impressive offer list and high academic guy. But Rutgers, you know, they're, they're pretty much full 
at receiver. You know, there's still some contact with with Stewart, but he's not a guy. I think that they, you know, they seem like they're they're dying to get. I mean, you know, he's a great player. You know, and it's not anything about his talent, but you look at spots. There seems to be other needs at this point. Obviously, defensive back in this class. You know, they're still talking to some old linemen and things of that nature. So I think if, if there were more spots at wide receiver, Rutgers would probably push a lot harder for Stewart at this point. So how about an update on uh, the uh, hometown guy for me, uh, Rashawn Gary out of Scotch Plains, and, uh, you know, consensus number one player in the state, and, you know, many have him number one player in the country. Uh, uh, he's still uh, uncommitted at this point, but uh, where is his uh, uh, recruitment uh, right now trending towards? Well, he he actually took his first official visit to Michigan uh, this past weekend, and obviously it's been well publicized, his, his ties with the director of recruiting there, uh, Chris Partridge, who was his coach at Paramus Catholic. Um, you know, so Michigan figures to be a player there. They seem to, to really impress him on the visit. Uh, I keep hearing schools like LSU, Auburn, Georgia, uh, Ohio State getting back in the mix as well as schools at Yale, and also um, Southern California as well. That schools you're you're gonna hear you know within his recruitment and he seemed to you know move on from from Rutgers months ago and just you know focus on some other schools instead. Uh, but the schools that I mentioned are the ones that you're probably gonna see mentioned with Gary, you know, going down the wire. But Michigan uh, definitely made a great impression in his recent visit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's obviously been trending that way since uh, um, I think you know both obviously uh, portraits going out there and then bringing in Harbor and. It doesn't hurt that they are now already in the top 25. And, you know, this brings up a good point. Um, if you look at, you know, I'm looking at the rivals rankings right now. By the way, anybody uh, could check that out on ScarletNation.com. You just click and go into the recruiting uh, and then the rankings. But, you know, according to, to what rivals has, uh, of the top seven players, and let, let's say that Gary ends up at Michigan, Ohio State. If he does, you would have of the top seven players, um six of those seven going to Big Ten schools, with Garantano being the only outlier. Uh, you know, obviously Kareem Walker at Ohio State. Uh, and then Michigan, you know, would potentially have Gary, Amir Mitchell, uh, Hawkins, and Johnson. And you almost ask yourself uh, if Rutgers going into the Big Ten has actually so far even benefited these other programs like Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State even more in terms of recruiting. Um, you know, as you go down the line, uh, you know, um, it, it, it actually extends out to further down the list with uh, Michigan State getting involved too. So uh, it's obviously the showing and the ability for these teams to come down here and show themselves more often has actually helped uh, their recruiting, uh, particularly uh, with Michigan. No, without a doubt. I mean, anytime you could tell a kid, hey, you're going to play – you know, back home in New Jersey, you know, um, you know, t- at least twice within your your five years, and you know, you also play in Maryland at least twice. You know, in you know Penn State, which is close by, uh, it definitely helps you know locally for them. You know, and to, you know for the families to sell as well versus, you know, you tell a kid that's been recruited by West Virginia, you'll only play. You know, if you play home games, the closer you're going to be able to see your guy, unless you're going to play, you know, for example. So it's definitely uh, a strong selling point for these guys, um, you know, at these these fellow Big Ten schools in the recruiting trail. Now, um, you know, the, I know you also follow the local high schools and, and, and some of the uh, 
matchups and, and you know this is that time of the year where still some teams are out there playing you know non conference schedules. Uh um you know what are some of the top stories in terms of top teams and top players and you know storylines going on in Jersey High School at this time of the year? Um well definitely you know I think you know there's a couple of big games in the now public ranks this weekend. Um the big one, you know, St. Joe's Montvale, which is, you know, ranked number one uh by the Star Ledger. They're going on to Florida to play, you know, the loaded IMG Academy. And these guys, I know um, our national analyst, Mike Farrell, and our regional Farrell, uh, analyst, Adam Freeman, someone played Burn Catholic uh, two weeks ago, and you know they both were saying that that IMG team may have been the most talented team they've ever seen because um, they have four and five-star kids from all around the country. And I always wondered in that type of setting versus these high school teams that have been practicing all year, how long it would take that talent to gel, and they they gelled quickly. You know they they you know they had a shootout with Burn Catholic. But I think they won that game fairly easily up in Ordell, and you know now St. Joe's is going down there to play. And um, you know if there's one program that is able to thrive on being an underdog, you know St. Joe's Montvale. And uh, I remember seeing them against Damasa two or three years ago, and Damasa came up for Kane, and you know definitely was the higher rated team, more talent. But St. Joe's just kind of, you know, just outsmarted them and, you know, used the athleticism against them to have a, you know, a blowout win. You know, so it, it's going to be interesting to see that uh, that Will with uh, what Augie Hoffman does on the coaching side and that great staff in Montville versus the talent down at IMG. Um, and another big one in Oradell is Pramus Catholic, Burton Catholic, you know, big rivalry game, a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, so that's going to be somewhere if you're a college coach and you have availability, you know, I'm sure Anthony Campanile will find his way over there on Saturday to, to stop in and see his brother's team versus his, you know, his former high school and watch those guys play. So those are probably the two uh, biggest games in the state this weekend, I would say. And I think you're going to be down, I, I read down in uh, Old Bridge on Friday night, uh, if, if that game's going to off with the weather, right, uh, um, checking down uh, South, South Brunswick. Well, actually, I was in Old Bridge this past weekend, um, so that was oh, um, South Brunswick. Yeah, so I, that was you know, with, uh, a great game. Jobby and Campbell in that game. Well, good, yeah, and, um, and um, Sikowski, too, so a lot of talent in that game, definitely. But I'll be at a Union at Elizabeth tomorrow night uh, at Williamsfield in Elizabeth. Uh, that's a, oh, that's a huge rivalry in, uh, in, in the Union County library. That's one of the bigger ones. So that one's yes, uh, going to be... Uh, always an interesting uh, one to watch. Uh, Sean, appreciate you coming back on. It's been a while. We got to get keep you back in. And you know, I think um, for Rutgers, you know, it's this next stretch of games is going to be uh, very telling. Uh, you know, there's already a little bit of negative. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit, but uh, some negativity around the program because of what has gone on. And, and if if it gets really ugly. Uh, uh, you know, hopefully the next time I have you on, you don't have. Uh, we're not kind of recapping, you know, some you know the the situation that happened uh, a couple of years ago with with the decommits that took place in October and November. So, uh, yep. you know, the the football will speak for itself. Uh, but uh, you know, I think you'll probably agree that this is big, and you know, maybe not win all. You know, obviously they're not going to win all these games, but uh, need to not uh, you know make it look like. Uh, and no matter how a class is, they're still far ways from, from going. No, I mean, um, 
you know, you hit the nail on the head there. They have the number one and number two team in the nation coming. Um, you know, obviously Michigan State coming first, and a lot of it not so much how they do on the field, but also, you know, the atmosphere and, you know, what the fans bring as well. It's, it's a chance for, for Rutgers to sell itself to those guys and, you know, just an overall good showing. A, a win or a great performance would obviously help out, but a great atmosphere, you know, and, just things of that nature. That's the thing that's also going to catch the kids' eye as well as what's going on on the field. So, Great. Sean, appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, uh, we look forward to having you uh, again in the future and um, let everybody know where they can find you out on the uh, on the great uh, web. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Um, you know, obviously at uh, ScarletNation.com, uh, also NJVarsity.com, and uh, on Twitter at SeanBRivals. Great. Thanks again, Sean. All right. Thanks, Jerry. And now I appreciate Sean coming back. Always a uh, a uh, good friend of the show, uh, you know, again, from uh, ScarletNation.com. Throw out the number. It's 914-338-1694. Uh, you want to call, uh, you know, after we hit the 1030 mark and get in. Uh, right now I want to welcome uh, Shannon Summers, and uh, he's also been on the show of the men of the ScarletAndGrade.com. Welcome back to the show, Shannon. Hey Jerry, how you doing? Thanks for having me back again. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, I just heard Sean talk about the fact that Rutgers will be hosting uh, the number one and number two teams in the nation, and now just had to pause for a second. Now, uh, pretty crazy to think about. And of course, uh, uh, you follow the uh, number one team in the nation uh, out in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, you guys got the uh, um, defending national champions coming to the birthplace of college football this year. I think it's kind of cool. That is right. That's a good uh, point. Uh, I hope you make it out there yourself and uh, get a chance to uh, see uh, the atmosphere. I think um, that's obviously October 24th. So between there, Rutgers has the Michigan State after his bye week and uh, Indiana sandwich between uh, those two games. Uh let me jump off right away to a couple of, uh, you know, I know you love to talk Ohio State, so let's talk a little bit about Ohio State. You know, Rutgers right now is going through a situation in terms of uh, quarterback uh, play now. Many have been slightly critical because there was a battle that took place. Obviously not as high profile as, as what went on in Ohio State, but it went down to the wire, and the staff um, has not made any moves during the year. Now, Chris Aviano has a 72% completion rate. He's not that exactly doing horrible, but the team has fallen behind in games and there was opportunities for him to play. Uh, so many people are kind of wondering, you know, if, if the battle was so close, why haven't we seen a, a backup in yet? Now, what's going on with uh, the Ohio State quarterback battle between, uh, obviously, you know, uh, Jones and, and Barlow? Is there any clarity going there? Yeah, for the first time so far this year, um, the depth chart finally shows only one quarterback as a starting quarterback, and that'd be Cardell Jones. I know the the whole season so far it's been showing, you know, JT Barrett or Cardell Jones, and Jones has pretty much been starting. A lot of fans and uh, pundits and, you know, everybody's been pretty much upset with uh, Urban Meyer and company as far as, pulling Cardell, having a bad game or this and that, and the guys haven't been able to get in the flow. But it seemed this past week against uh, Western Michigan, they finally let Cardell have the uh, whole you know whole game. 
he did a lot better first half. He made a lot of uh, um, a lot of good uh, decisions. Still, you can see some uh, problems with the mechanics and stuff like that. So uh, there's still some work to do, and our offense isn't clicking anywhere where it should be with all the offensive weapons that we have. But you know, it's you. It's only the fourth game in the season. You don't want to be peaking now. I mean, look at last year. We lost week two. I mean, everybody in the Big Ten took a big hit last year in week two. They counted out the uh, Big Ten as far as the college playoffs, and Ohio State peaked at the right time, and they just rolled over everybody at the end of the season. It's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, for those of us that are listening to uh, you know, your plans, sometimes it's hard to empty, have some uh, empathy you know, on, on the fact that uh, – you know, you're dealing with the national championship and guys maybe not playing as well as they should, but, I mean, the bottom line, it's an undefeated team. And uh, this week, travel out to uh, Indiana to face a a Hoosier team that's 4-0, right? Uh, I guess they'll, they'll find out very quickly if uh, how much of that is a, a mirage, but that's uh, what's on plate for Ohio State this week. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, I know last year for the first three quarters – it was uh, tight. It seems that the Buckeyes offense seems to have some issues with like uh, playing the three, four and stuff for some reason. So there was, you know, some issues with that. And then Jalen Marshall just exploded. For, yeah. And four, you know, four touchdowns in, one, in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, you're kind of hoping for something like that. I know uh word came out after we did our podcast Tuesday, um, the Hoosiers starting defensive tackle suspended for the game. So, that's a big hit for their defense, and their defense has been improving, but it's nowhere near what it should be. Indiana's always had a potent offense, but they've never had a you know decent or stellar or any you know kind of defense. And we know defense you know wins championships and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out with the way Ohio State's offense has been stalling here and there. And are they finally with the moves that they made by putting Tim back up in the press box, starting to call you know uh, the plays, taking a little bit less off of uh, Ed Warner's plate since we lost Tom Herman? So I mean we've got a lot of change on the offensive side from coaches and stuff like that. So it's you're you're just waiting for that explosion that everybody's been you know saying that Ohio State's going to have offensively. I mean, they are predicted to break all these records and have one of the most explosive offenses in the league, and it just hasn't materialized yet. You know, it's uh, like you said. I think uh, it's early in the season. I think you know, you, you, not so much about peaking, but also expectations were raised so high that uh, you know you, you now have a bar that I think uh, you know Urban's going to have to deal with that. Uh, it's a good problem to have. But uh, it's definitely now you're at that point where uh, you know this is a very young team that that peaked at the end of last season. So uh, there's going to be a lot, really, you know, other than playing again in the national championship again, uh, you're looking at a disappointment. So when you have expectations that high, it's going to be obviously hard to uh, meet perfection or, or just keep everybody happy, right? Oh, yeah. and I mean, last year they weren't, you know, they're saying Ohio State's at least a year away. Well, all of a sudden you look at this year, I mean, look at how many NFL prospects that the Buckeyes have. You got Joey Bosa, Adolphus Washington on the uh, line, 
the linebacking core of uh, Darren Lee, uh, Raekwon McMillan. I mean, Raekwon's only a sophomore, but uh, Joshua Perry. Your secondary, you've got Eli Apple, uh, Gary and Conley, you know, um, Tyus Powell, and uh, I mean, we can just keep going, or uh, Von Bell. So, I mean, we could just keep going on names for defense. And then on the offense, I mean, last year we didn't have Braxton Miller. All of a sudden now Braxton Miller makes a, you know, change over to the wide receiver position. For the first four games, only one game he's really shown anything, and that was the Virginia Tech game, and you saw what the, you know, capabilities were. And, yeah, part of you thinks that since he's, you know, a pure athlete and everything, he's just going to take off with it, and there's going to be a growing curve and everything. So everybody's waiting for that. You had Ezekiel Elliott for the last three games of last year, averaging almost what, 240, 250 yards a game against Wisconsin, Alabama, and uh, Oregon. You've got studs on that uh, offensive line, great, you know, wide receivers and stuff. I mean, we lost some and everything, but, I mean, it's just you. Cardell comes in for, the, you know, being the third string, wins the final three games after JT Barrett did so great. I mean, it's just it's kind of phenomenal what they actually have. It's almost like That's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, and again, it's hard to feel sorry for you guys. I think you guys will get to it. We'll get to it. But you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is the um, kind of the kickoff of you know. Right now, Rutgers Penn State was the only conference game played. But uh, this week, uh, you know, uh, the whole season, Big Ten season, conference season kicks off around the league. Uh, you know, Michigan now, which is ranked number two, twenty-two, will go out to to Maryland. Uh, uh, you know, nothing, I think, you know, in terms of, 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 you know, obviously Michigan State against Purdue, not really. Uh, a game that I think is pretty good is Minnesota at, at Northwestern. I still think, you know, Minnesota, you know, has that ability, that, that run, you know, when they get going, running the ball. Uh, and, and we'll kind of see how tough Northwestern is. Uh, you know, you, who are some of the surprises that you've seen so far early in the season? Obviously, Northwestern is 4-0, uh, Indiana's 4-0. Iowa, but you know, out of these teams, who do you think um, really is is uh, potentially you know legit in terms of uh, you know keeping keeping the momentum going into uh, bowl season? You know, on our uh, podcast, we we discussed and broke down the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West, and we looked at the Big Ten West, and we were saying pretty much that you were going to have Wisconsin, uh, Nebraska, and Minnesota going for, you know, the West crown. On the outside, you'd probably be having Iowa. I mean, Iowa's been so inconsistent over the years, so you don't know which team's going to show up. The biggest surprise to me really is Northwestern. Northwestern, they've been playing a really stellar defense. Uh, I believe Johnson, their running back, you knew he was going to be pretty, you know, decent and think he's a sophomore this year, and he's really come out. Their uh, quarterback play has been pretty good. I, I'm, I'm actually picking Northwestern over Minnesota just because Minnesota's offense seems to be really inconsistent. I mean, they only beat Kent State by five points, and I think their last game they only won by three. So they're struggling a little bit offensively. So I'm giving the edge to the Wildcats right now. It, it, the, the biggest surprise would, I would have to say right now in, in the West is uh, Northwestern definitely. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, they, 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 the, the big win was obviously knocking off Stanford sixteen six uh, first week, and uh, you know, Duke is it's, it's a good team, it's a bold team from last year, so 
so far they they are with the we have seen this before, I think with Northwestern where they've gotten off the start. So uh this would go a big way in terms of yeah, obviously going five and oh, but uh, you know, you mentioned the team that really a lot of people had as, as being able to hang up there with Wisconsin and Nebraska as a potential leader on the West. So uh I think that's probably you know, one of the more and more key games uh this weekend in, in the Big Ten. Uh Nebraska travels out to uh Illinois, uh the Penn State is playing out of conference, uh they're hosting uh, Army. And um, Iowa, I guess, in Wisconsin. That's that's you know another one. Iowa's four and zero. Wisconsin's hosting. Um, so you know you mentioned the inconsistencies. Uh, but, you know, what do you what do you think of that game uh, uh, this Saturday? I'll tell you what the Wisconsin. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing them really gel. I think after the Alabama game, Stave and you know the rest of the team starting to. You know, put it together. It kind of was an eye opener. The you know Alabama game, and plus Wisconsin's defense. I can't. I've lost his uh, name in my head right now, but I think it was their starting safety had that concussion early in the game. You know, their best defensive player. So I mean, it, it changed a lot of things. I'm not saying that they would have had a shot in order to uh, upset Alabama. I wish they would have, because that really would have shut up the SEC. But I mean, I like the direction Alabama's going. I think Paul Christ was a excellent hire bringing him on board, especially with his experience knowing Wisconsin, being from Wisconsin, you know, graduating from Wisconsin, being part of that program and everything. I think that was an excellent hire. So I, I think Wisconsin is going to be on the up. Yeah, and uh, for those who are looking to check those games out, uh, the Minnesota and Northwestern game is the noon game on the Big Ten network, and uh, uh, Iowa Wisconsin will be on ESPN at noon, so we'll get an opportunity um, to uh, to check those teams out. Um, you know, Shannon, while I have you on here, you know, I, I want to actually uh, also welcome uh, um, back to the show. I've had him uh, here last week, and uh, we could talk a little bit of, of the matchup that you guys have coming up in uh, um, in. Indiana and Ohio State uh, from uh, Hoosahuddle.com. We want to welcome you uh, back to the show. How's it going? It's going well, Jerry. Um, you know, I'm glad I'm not traveling to North Carolina this weekend with the uh, hurricane bearing down, but everything's uh, going well. Uh, you know, I got Shannon on here. We were talking a little bit about the matchup with Ohio State and Michigan. Now, now tell me, I'm sorry, Ohio State and Indiana, and you. Got a, you were chatting about this last week about the atmosphere, if, if they were able to win that Wake Forest game and how important it was to kind of set up the atmosphere of hosting the number one team in the nation while you're 4-0. So, you know, what does it look like down there and what's the excitement level? Well, there are about 250 tickets left uh, on the IU website as of earlier this evening. Uh, it, so it should be a sellout. The parking is sold out. Um and, you know, they had this whole uh, game day pitch uh, on Twitter. Uh, game day chose to go to Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, but a local radio host and former IU coach and, and basketball player Dan Dockage is hosting his own version of game day uh, with the IU students that uh, will take place in the parking lot. So it should be an electric atmosphere this weekend. Now, uh, you talked a little bit about it in reference last uh, year's game and, you know, one of the most amazing performances I saw, you know, before even heading out to the, that fourth quarter was just Kevin Coleman's ability 
uh, last year was just you know off the charts, and that just what he did just to keep them in those first three quarters. Now Indiana, obviously, again um, leaning heavily on, on the running game. Uh, what, what are your keys for Indiana to keep this game, uh, you know, in check? Um, uh, you know, particularly on on the offensive side of the ball. Well, they're going to have to play well in all three phases. Ohio State's number one for a reason, and that's because they're a really, really good football team. Um, from the offensive standpoint, they're going to have to run the ball, try and control the clock, and wear Ohio State's defense down. And that's easier said than done. Ohio State's got a very good defense uh, and a lot of depth. So Jordan Howard's not going to uh, run over all these people and have them you know, run out of gas by the middle of the third quarter. But if they could get four, five, six yards uh, and get some nine, ten uh, play drives going and get points out of it, it should allow the offense to stay in the game for longer. Now, Shannon, what is the injury status heading into the game? Uh, Any key players uh, that will be out for um, Ohio State? The only player player that I, off the top of my head, I can think of is uh, still Damon Webb is on an indefinite suspension, excuse me, suspension as far as I know. I don't think we have any, uh, um, you know, injuries that are going to keep, you know, key guys out or anything like that. So I think uh, Ohio State's coming in pretty healthy and uh, fully loaded. I know uh, Indiana's not wanting to hear that. <laughs> um, so what, you uh, know, it's... Go ahead, Jerry. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, I, I guess say, you know... Chance... Sorry, I cut you off again. Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, uh, Ohio State coming in, I don't think Indiana's real worried about you know, if some people are injured, uh, it, IU has some injuries of their own and, and a suspension to deal with. Uh, Danny Friend, who's one of the more used tight ends for IU, is is probably going to miss the game. Um, Ricky Jones uh, had an ankle injury against Wake Forest, but Wilson in his Monday press conference said he's probably good to go. Uh, big news came out, I think, on Tuesday um, that Darius Latham, uh, defensive tackle, uh, who had a great game against Wake Forest, has been suspended indefinitely. So that'll be a big loss for IU along the defensive line. Now, uh, in terms of, um, I guess, uh, defensively from Indiana's perspective, uh, uh, you know, what do they have to do in terms of, uh, you know, Shannon mentioned, of course, that it's, you know, looks like this is the Cardell Jones show. Uh, you know, what do they have to do to slow down that offense um, in particular? Uh, you know, putting some pressure on, on Jones um, and, you know, making some, some ill decisions, ill-advised decisions. Well, as good as Ohio State has been, and they've been very good, their offense has been questionable. And it's hard to say that on a team that, you know, has put up 38-38, you know, and, and 42 points in, you know, three of the first four games. So, um Getting in Cardell's face, making him make throws off his back foot, which he's been doing, and he's underthrown his receivers on deep balls a lot, uh, which has led to interceptions, especially against Western Michigan and Northern Illinois. So, getting some pressure on um, on Cardell with the defensive line and and some of the linebackers uh, will help out that weak IU secondary, uh, who has, you know, they they play really well. They they've 
caused a lot of turnovers. I think IU is, is something like plus six in the turnover uh, margin, but they've also been victim to a lot of big plays. And if Cardell could sit down back there and, and pick apart this defense, it could be a long day for IU. Now, um, for fans that are listening, I, let me ask you, uh, I don't you know, either Sam or, or Shannon has the answer. When, when is the last time Indiana has beaten Ohio State? Uh, the last time IU beat Ohio State was in 1988. I believe the score was 41-7. Uh, they actually beat them two years in a row in 1987 and 1988. Um, and it's been 0-20 since then. I think between 1987 and 1990, Indiana was actually 2-0-1 against the Buckeyes. Hmm. So that goes uh, goes back. But uh, interesting to, to know, like those, you know, that was a good period actually time over there in the late 80s and 90s for, for, for Indiana. Now, Shannon, what what are some of the, you know, obviously you're still confident in the game, but, uh, you know, any things from the perspective of what I, I, Indiana brings to the table that, that worries uh, you in terms of, you know, you mentioned that the 3-4 defense sometimes gives Ohio State problems, but uh, any other uh, specific things that, they, that, that might concern you? Um. Excuse me. Indiana's uh, offensive line—they seem to have a you know pretty stellar offensive line. Are they going to be able to allow enough time for the guys to open up downfield? And Joey Bosa and Adolphus Washington, and uh, you know those guys aren't going to be able to get much of a pass rush and you know disrupt any kind of timing. I know we have you know pretty good uh, cover corners, but still, no matter what, I mean, you're going to have the quick passes and stuff like that. So. We've seen with the uh, Western Michigan, the first two series that Western Michigan had last week, they were actually able to move down the field and penalties kept them out of the end zone, which, you know, kind of helped Ohio State. And they missed, you know, I think there was like one blocked uh, field goal and they missed another one. So, I mean, that score could have been a lot different in all actuality. Ohio State's been playing good defense, but last week they kind of it seemed like they took a step back for uh, um, their running defense, and that kind of bothers me a little bit, especially with that offensive line for Indiana. So, I mean, I, I'm really going to watch the offensive line the most. Well, I, I think um, you know it's got to be an exciting time, Sam. You know, from Indiana fans' perspective, and uh, you know, it's what kind of what makes you know college football great, and, and you. You have these matchups that take place, and uh, it's exciting. You know, you, you get a team that comes in here, and you know, uh, you know, as they say, any given Saturday, you know, maybe. But uh, you know, regardless, it's it's also about the atmosphere that will be there. And I think, um, you know, regardless of the outcome, and you know, you'll probably have a lot of fun <laughs> in Indiana this weekend. So uh, I'm sure looking forward uh, to a good game on, on both sides. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. You know, IU has has played them close since Wilson has been there. Uh, every game except for that 2013 game has been uh, within two scores. They had a wild game in 2012 where Ohio State, I think, went up three or four scores and, uh, and Indiana came back uh, only to lose by by three. Uh, but it's been a it's been a close series the last few years. Uh, the fans are into it. It's I think the first time that Ohio State and Indiana have faced off uh, undefeated uh, since the 40s or something. So it's something that hasn't really been seen by the current IU fans. Well, we'll see that. So, you know, again, that, that for those who uh, want to catch that game, 
what, what network is hosting that? Is that on, on, on ESPN? That's yeah, the that's ABC the, yeah. uh, ESPN2 Mirror game. Okay, good, good, good. Well, listen, guys, I appreciate you both. Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we talked about this with Sam and, and last week about the opportunity you know, they took advantage of it, you know, winning that Wake Forest game and then having you guys both call back-to-back weeks and, boom, you're playing against each other. So it was a perfect opportunity. I appreciate you both being on the show. Uh, and, you know, it's always fun to get uh, two perspectives on at the same time. So, guys, I appreciate you uh, coming on. We'll talk again in, in, in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a while. I'd like to catch up again. And uh, just, you know, for all your fans, just for all your fans, just keep your eye out on uh, um, your boy, Curtis Samuel. I expect him to have a really big game. Oh, yes, that's right. That's another one. And you mentioned Eli Apple earlier. as another New Jersey area player from New Jersey. So uh, we're well aware. We're well aware of, uh, and I talked about that earlier in the show, about the recruiting that's going on uh, in this area from other Big Ten programs. So uh, uh, we'll keep an eye. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jerry. Always a pleasure coming on, uh, Shannon. Good luck this week. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll be back on soon. Yeah, good luck okay. to you, too, and don't, don't get mad when that OHIO goes uh, around the stadium again this year. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try not to. I'll, I'll try not to, to get too upset. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Uh, so that was a fun uh uh, opportunity uh, there, uh, Sam from HoosierHuddle.com. I had him on last week. And, uh, you know, look, we, we talked about, you know, Indiana football, it's it's, it's not, you know, you don't think uh, football when you talk Indiana. And, uh, you know, I love having on uh, representatives from these other programs like uh, that kind of have that feeling that, that most of us Rutgers fans have where, you know, uh, there's always a build up to something more. Um you know, and and Maryland's in in a situation, uh, and you know, so when you get an opportunity to go four and zero and you host you know, a number one team in the nation, it's a lot of fun. And you know, last year uh, Rutgers had had the opportunity uh, to to face Michigan kind of on on a down year, and uh, you know, it was a fun night. It was a fun, exciting night, regardless of. When you're standing there and you're looking at the sidelines and you're like, you know, this is Michigan and this this is college football. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Now, the Scarlet Knights, uh, again, I'm going to open up the lines. We still have some time left. 914-338-1694. Uh, give me a call. Uh, I would love to see people's perspective on the on the Rutgers quarterback in, uh, I don't want to say situation, but, again, I you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to particularly, you know, you, you can't pin any of the of – the, uh, you know, really, Rutgers is two and two, but the losses per se on on the quarterback position. But uh, you know, I, it, it, it's hard to what was hard about watching or being uh, you know at the game last week against Kansas. As I mentioned, twenty seven to seven in the third quarter, nine minutes left. Uh, a team that hasn't won a game on the road in thirty something games. Uh, uh, Rutgers is you know you sat there, you realized you know there was so much going on. It was a very tough week. For Rutgers fans, um, uh, you know, one thing about I have to say this: it's important. Uh, Rutgers fans like to complain about the media and the, how they're perceived in the media. But one of the things is got to remember the whole reason that they were brought into the Big Ten is because of what the media here is, and and 
part of that, and you look at what people's jobs are in the media, is to get clicks and to get people reading their articles. And they know that when you write a little bit of something about Rutgers, particularly what's happened over this last month, it becomes a punchline. And it happened to be going against Kansas, who's probably one of the most downtrodden big five uh, programs out there. And it was just kind of fun for everybody to just mix both in because Rutgers was fumbling all over itself in field issues over the last month. And there, lo and behold, you had Rutgers against Kansas. And, uh, you know, very frustrating to see everyone picking on on, on, on the program. And, and you know, here they were, like I said, 27-7, and you particularly knew that Rutgers was not in the same class as 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 Kansas is one of the worst programs in the country. And it's, it's something that, that uh, was kind of getting frustrated. And, you know, uh, you look at the season that took place last year, they're eight and five, um, went to a bowl game against a mediocre team and they still were underdog to that team and then proceeded to pound them and pound them with the style of football that played in the big 10 and oh, rushing over 300 yards last year against North Carolina. Now, obviously it's a depleted team because of, what has taken place uh, with the suspensions and arrests with you, Bill, and it's best player out. Really, best two players are out. Uh, so this is obviously not the team of last year, but uh, it was hard to deal with some of these uh, uh, Rutgers, Kansas articles that were just piling on as if this is the two worst teams and you know worst programs in, in the country. Now they're two and two, and as I said, in the middle of this game. 27 to 7, and you just felt like, you know, let's just put this away. Let's finish this drive. They're driving, and then comes a penalty, and then a penalty, and then you're out of uh, field goal. And, and one of the things, though, when you have somebody and you got that team on the ropes, the killer instinct, where was it? And, and it's tough to to pinpoint whether the plays were not called or the routes were not uh, deep enough, but we did not see one deep pass uh, all game. And, and uh, you know, you complete 72% of the passes is great, but you still have five interceptions. And against Penn State, we saw some of those balls that just looked like they were, you know, could have been, uh, uh, should have been picked off. And, and, again, not playing poorly, doing this whole game management thing. But my problem with that is this is college football. And, you know, when you're playing against the Michigan State and when you're playing against these teams that are going to be playing, you get Ohio State. Uh, it's this, you know, you saw what happened last year. Just forget it. Uh, but the games that you know, Michigan, that you know, you expect them to play well, or or even uh, you know, Nebraska, beatable, winnable games. It's not going to be though. Just about rolling out and picking up first downs and thinking five or ten yards. There's going to be moments in these games where you need to score touchdowns, and if you can't press the field, you can't press the defense and pressure the defense. Uh, it's been Either your offensive coordinator is incompetent or the quarterback is not really ready to play at this level of football. So if you have a backup quarterback that has taken a a opportunity to battle with this other quarterback all the way down to the wire, I do not see what the downside is of seeing Hayden Red get on the field in some of these games and, and, and throw some balls. Because if you're not throwing them, someone needs to throw them. Because it was 27-7, and the game was there. Nine minutes left in the third quarter, and I want to see some passes, and I want to see some deep balls taken. Because if you're not going to take them up 27-7 to with nine minutes left in the third quarter, when are you going to throw it? When you're down 
twenty nothing against Ohio State, and and that's what Rutgers is looking at over the next month. So uh, it's you know I look you know to get a lot of opinions on this because it's a tough uh, call. You know you have a set of quarterback completing over seventy percent of percentage passes, but it doesn't feel like nor does it look like from a big time college football uh, team. And I'm not saying Rutgers is a big time college football team, but they are a big time program in the sense that they're playing some big kind of football over the next couple of weeks. So uh, very interesting to say on that on that end. And the other thing I think that also comes up into play is penalties, which takes you back to coaching. You don't know how much uh, of that is maybe typically hold and do things when you're getting beat. But is this on an undisciplined team, or is it the fact that perhaps, you know, uh, last year where they had five returning offensive linemen, this year – uh, there's guys that are new, uh, not new in terms of young, but new in terms of starting. So that's another issue. And then thirdly is um, defensively, we didn't see in either the Washington State or the Michigan or, or the Penn State game uh, the type of adjustments that you would like to see from a defense or a defensive coordinator in, in particular. So uh, those are some of the questions that were made outstanding for the program. But what is definite is with what's gone on so far this year and the record currently at two and two, it's going to be very difficult to match, uh, obviously last year, but in terms of getting to seven and five, and now you're talking about a high water margin of six and six in a bowl season. So that is uh, putting them in a situation where they could need to you know, knock off a team that's unexpected. I don't think it's going to be Michigan State, um, but it certainly has to be, the game has to be played where it's not a totally demoralizing loss where everyone is just going to jump ship and morale is going to be so low that they're not going to be able to go in and win at Indiana the week after. Uh, It's still a very winnable game, Indiana, regardless of, of what happens next week, uh, uh, you know, they will lose that game. So it's an opportunity, uh, though, that Rutgers cannot let this game spiral out of hand again, uh, against Michigan State because uh, things can turn down very quickly and uh, get out of hand. So uh, look forward to enjoy the rest of this bye week. Next week we'll have the show on again on Thursday, and uh, we'll kind of uh, preview the Michigan State and Rutgers game that well that weekend, and also again talk some more Big Ten uh, as the season goes on. I want to get a lot more uh, input from our neighbors uh, in the various uh, uh, programs out there. So this is RU Fan Jerry. You can reach uh, uh, me at on Twitter at RU Fan Jerry, and uh, welcome uh, uh, callers who called in again today, and look forward to uh, dealing with you guys and seeing. Uh, uh, next week. Thanks.